Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> we are camped here for the next couple of weeks. We've been here for a couple of weeks. I love this section of scripture. So often we get caught up in the big time miracles of Jesus. We get caught up in all kinds of the fireworks shows. I like to call it Elijah calling fire from heaven. Jesus walking on water, doing these really, just the fun things, if you will, um, the, and the really exciting things. And this one's kind of interesting because all Jesus is doing is talking. But in this passage in Luke 15, what he is showing off and what he is doing is he is showing how he is the master teacher. In Luke 15, he breaks apart humanity's greatest fears. And he shows us what reaction of that should be. In this simple three stories in Luke chapter 15, he just layer upon layer upon layer has all these intricacies. As I've been reading this passage over and over and over and over again, every time I read it, I get something, a new facet. The rabbis called this, they were talking about the scripture, and they said it was a many-faceted diamond. And every time you turned it, a new light would reflect out of it. And that's how they compared it to the Scripture. Every time you, you kind of look at the Bible and just kind of work on it a little bit differently, it's like a new ray of light is coming out of it. I thought that was kind of a really pretty uh, thing to think about. But that's how I've been with, this, with this, uh, this Scripture. And he's teaching. All he's doing is telling stories. But layer upon layer is being just brought to these people's attention. And the wonderful thing about it is you have experts in the Scripture in this room. And you have people who've never picked up a Bible at all. And he's speaking to all of them. He's amazing. In Luke chapter 15, he's talking to basically two different groups. We talked about it a lot last week, but if you weren't here last week, we'll go ahead and uh, bring you up to speed. Last week, we talked about what it was to be a Pharisee and what it was to be a tax collector. And the Cliff Notes version of that is a tax collector is basically like a mob boss. Okay? Think about that. And so his retinue, the mob boss's retinue, and what that looks like, and the kind of people that usually surround mob bosses <clears throat> are at this party. And then you have the Pharisees, which are like the most legalistic people you can ever imagine. So you have oil, and you have water, <laughs> and they're at a party together. Fun times, right? Um, and so that's, that's what's going on here. You have the Pharisees who are looking for anything to bring against Jesus. And you have these tax collectors that can't believe a rabbi is spending time with them. So there's this, this whole little difference going on here. It's also very, I think, amazing to me that the tax collectors are almost presented as the good guys in the Scripture. Right? This is like you're, you're uh, talking about the Corleone family. and be like, yeah, they're the good guys right here. You see the problem? Like that's, As I read it, I'm always like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Why am I rooting? I'm rooting for the tax collectors. I find myself in that position a little bit, and it, it just strikes me as strange sometimes. But that's what the power of Jesus' teaching does. It can invert your whole worldview and invert everything that you've been thinking. But in this passage, he talks about very real fears and very real things that go on. 
last week we talked about, and for all of us, one of, it was one of, one of our huge fears, the f- fear of being lost. Yes, you might be like Kevin and more afraid of spiders than you are of lost, but I understand you might be more afraid of sharks, although you live in Illinois, uh, but you might be more afraid of something else more than being lost. But I think if everyone is honest, being afraid of being lost ranks up there pretty high, right? To be utterly lost. And so Jesus is speaking right to that. Something that's timeless that anybody in any situation is going to resonate with. It doesn't matter if you're a religious elite person. It doesn't matter if you're a mob boss. It doesn't matter where you're at on that spectrum. You're speaking about being lost. I'm going to be able to understand you. He also shifts it to a couple other problems that's going on. Last week, we talked about the freedom of losing your ability to make money. That's what the lost sheep is. The sheep represents a money-making device. And everybody in that room would have known that is the person's livelihood. And we all have a fear of losing how we make a living, don't we? Especially when you get a mortgage payment in there. You're like, okay, they want to get paid for that money I just took out. Hmm. So we, we have that freedom. And then when you have kids, that fear just kind of goes up the ladder, doesn't it? it it's just a way of <laughs> life. And so he's speaking to that fear last week. And then this week, he's talking about, we're talking about the parable of the lost coin. And he's talking about losing your life savings is basically what this lady, ha- when we read the scripture, you'll see that. But she loses her life savings. She's losing part of her, everything she's stored up, every, all of her rainy day fund. Once again, we all have that fear. That's timeless, isn't it? If you've been in the stock market and all of a sudden you see it go, get heart palpitations, start popping tums. We all have that fear. And that's what's going on here. And then next week, we're going to talk about how uh, a huge fear of anyone who's a parent is the fear of losing a child. The fear of losing a child. Whether that's they just go down the wrong path or actually losing the child. We all have that fear. Anybody who's a parent has that fear. Anybody who's held a sick kid in their arms has that fear. Anybody who's seen a kid go off to college has that fear. <laughs> Jill's getting all excited right now. She's getting ready to send her oldest to college. Um, anybody has that fear? I always remember the look in my father-in-law's eyes when we were married and we got home. For, Kelly and I were married and we, we uh, went to his house to pack up all of our stuff in our, our rider uh, van. And as he opens the door to shove something in there, I'm sitting there in the driver's seat. And the look of fear, anger, angst, maybe a murderous look that he gave me, all mixed in one. Because why? I'm taking his daughter, and that fear is, is she going to come back? Right? We all, but this is Jesus. Look, he just resonated with all of you 2,000 years later in a conversation he had at a party with a bunch of crazy people. And this is the beauty of the scripture, how he can just... So it might not be as sexy as calling fire down from heaven, but it's a miracle in itself that he can speak and resonate throughout history. This is why I'm in love with the scripture. Very real fears to very real people. Jesus is speaking to these fears and using them to teach huge, life-altering lessons. The parable of the lost coin, Luke chapter 15, verse 8 
<clears throat> or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this, something is lost on us, I think, because we don't understand what, what this coins. Coin means absolutely nothing to us, does it? We don't even pick them up if they're on the, the ground. I think it's a penny. Is that worth me bending over? It's a little cold. Nah. Right, right? So you're like, oh, if you dropped a quarter in the snow, you're not, if you don't have gloves on, you ain't going after it, are you? Nah. So we lose a little bit of something here in, the, in just difference in culture. So I want to express to you that a little bit. But before we get there, the main point for today <clears throat> is this. All potential... All the potential in the world is unavailable when it is lost. All the potential in the world is unavailable when it is lost. You you understand that? I can have, I once possessed this, a Mickey Mantle rookie card. However, I can't find it. I can't. I, I never did. You guys don't have to feel sorry for me. <laughs> so, but if it had, I lost a Mickey Mantle card, right? I can't cash it in. I can't show it off. I can't do anything about how awesome it is that I have this Mickey Mantle card. There's no potential there. And it just goes over and over and over again. The Olympics started this week. Maybe you're a winter Olympics nut like my wife is. I'll be spending a lot of time in the basement. Um, oh, the, the short... The short run for the, uh, the women's uh, figure skating is my favorite run because it's short. <laughs> so, but anyway, the Olympics started this week. Now, you could be the greatest figure skater in the world, but if you didn't go to trials, you can't go to the Olympics. Well, maybe you can if you're one of our girls. They just fall down and get to go anyway, but that's okay. If you're not, I've been paying attention when you're talking to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but... It's, it's over and over again like that. If you have not participated, Sean White withdrew from one of the events. He could have won the thing. He is amazing. He withdrew from it. He had all the potential, but he could not participate. He did not get to win the gold because he was not there. He was not in it. When you are lost, your potential means nothing. That's what I want to kind of focus in on today. All the potential in the world is unavailable when it is lost. When you're not where you're supposed to be, it doesn't matter. This woman, let's get a little culture, or see the culture, and then we'll get back to some stuff. The silver coins, ten silver coins, or drachma, are the same as a denarii, which you still don't know what it is. But the drachma is the Greek coin... Uh, the Hellenistic period of, of coins. And these are worth a, basically a day's wage. So at the end of the day, if you're a day laborer, you would go to the guy and say, all right, and payday in a little booth, and they just hand you a coin. And that was your pay for the day. Real easy, real, just like someone would hand a day laborer now $100 or whatnot. It was a day wage. So this is basically 10 days work. Or not, not sorry, 10 days work she has saved up which this lady is obviously poor. Now, th- 
there's some cultural clues that Jesus gives them that we might miss. I thought this was really interesting. She lights a lamp immediately. It doesn't say it was night or day. I've always thought it was night. That's why she would light a lamp. But in the poor neighborhoods, they would build basically small little uh, homes. The kitchen would be a community kitchen out in front, and basically you would have a bed and all your possessions in this 8 by 10 box, mud box, and they would just be stacked on top of each other in the, in the, in the slums of the area. Okay, You wouldn't have any windows, kind of like a, you know, a townhome or whatnot, but a window would decay the structural integrity of a mud home, and so whoever was building that house, whoever was uh, causing you rent, would never, wouldn't do that. They don't care about you that much. You're in a box. And so she has to light a lamp to even see where her coins are. So she's poor, very, very poor. And the fact that she's searching for this, it's only, it's only one day's wage. It's not that big of a deal, but if I lost 100 bucks, I would be on my hands and knees watching it, looking for it, right? So does that help in the perspective of what's going on here? These 10 coins could represent her life savings. This is the rainy day fund. Maybe it's the, the dowry that she's been saving up for her daughter. It's all that she can afford. It is, if I lose my job, if I'm sick, if I'm whatever, this is the only thing that she can pull on. There's no social security. There's nothing like that going on. It would only be her neighbors that would help her in a hard time. So this is everything that she has if something bad happens. So if you lose a tenth of that, that causes a lot of anxiety. And you, Does that help you gather why this coin is so important? That's what's going on here. Another way this passage is, is showing off Jesus' amazing teaching skills is in the first story we read last week, it's one out of a hundred. In this one, it's one out of ten, and next week it's one out of two. So Jesus is just ramping up the, the importance that this is, this is important, that the lost need to be found. And so he starts out broad and just starts narrowing it and narrowing it and narrowing it and narrowing it. Started casting out his net very wide to something that's not as personal, a stinky sheep. Brings it into something that's more personal, your life savings. And then he gets really intimate with talking about children. It's amazing. Potential is nothing without proximity. If you're not close to it, if you're not close to where it needs to be used, it's worth nothing. I have a story of my children. I pick on my kids a lot. My dad was right. Your preaching will get a whole lot better when you have kids because there's illustrations every week. You just watch them. <clears throat> Although I did, I, these are true stories, and I'll tell you why. I always tell true stories about my kids. One day I was three years old. For some reason I was in the sanctuary. I wasn't back in the nursery. I don't know if the nursery worker was sick or whatever, but I'm sitting in the back row, minding my own business as a three-year-old, probably coloring on something. My dad tells a story. And I stand up and I said, that's not true. I stood up on the pew. And my dad was like deer in the headlights. I may have exaggerated a little bit, people. <laughs> so I always, if Bowen and Kendall are in here, I, I'm telling them straight, okay? As outlandish as they might be, they are actually happened. Um, so Bowen and Kendall, this happened a couple years ago. Um, they're probably two and a half. And we are 
uh, at this time, Kelly was in charge of the preschool ministry at the church, and uh, I, didn't, I was relinquished of my early church setup duties, which we were in a mobile church, so it was all hands on deck, which I was really excited because for three years I had been getting up at 5.30 to go set up church, and now Kelly had to do that and not me. Uh, so, but that meant I had kid duty. Right? I had kid duty. I had to get the kids ready to go to church early so I could still do my Sunday morning, whatever they needed me to do, the announcements or, or whatever. This is still my job. So Kelly heads off to work or to, to church. My mom came by for some random reason before she headed to the airport, I think. My kids did their normal grandma thing and, ah, silly grandma. And then I proceeded to say, okay, guys, let's get ready to go. Mom pulled away. Hey, guys, where's the keys? Bowen was in this hiding phase. Although he, he only had three hiding spots. Right? Every, like, you got the favorite hiding spots. It's like a dog putting a bone somewhere. These are two-year-olds. is the same way. And they have you know, the, the crack in the cushions, this one corner, and somewhere else. Well, apparently I had not found the somewhere else. And so I'm looking at my cute little two-year-old, and where are the keys? I, I have to go to work. It's important. <laughs> like, I've got to show up, buddy. I can't walk. I've got to show There's a beautiful car in the driveway. It does not work without the keys. All the potential in the world. I can go anywhere in the world with my car. Unless I've got the keys that are lost. And I'm about ready to strangle this boy. I'm, I'm just getting so mad because he just looks at me with his cute little eyes. I hope you find it, though. I hope you find it, though. And then, you know, the two-year-old, and I'm like, if you weren't so cute. <laughs> oh! Finally, I was like, Kendall, where are the keys? Where are the keys, Kendall? Where are the keys? Mm. Who had them? Bones said, Kendall had them. What? Call my mom. Hey, mom. The kids play with your purse. She looks down, pulls over the side of the road, looks down. Oh, your keys are right here. Kendall had decided to hide them in the purse. The what was lost was found. Potential was restored and the day was saved with a little anxiety from Jared. I always remember that. But you, you guys, if you're a parent, you've experienced the same thing. It's usually the TV remote. But you can't do anything without the... Well, you could get off the couch and go turn it on, but... Without the potential. I mean, you have all this potential in the world, but it's worth absolutely nothing. I can't do what God has called me to do. I can't be involved at at church. I can't work on those relationships. I can't help everyone else. I can't do any of that without these stinking keys because it is lost in our lives. When we feel lost, when we have been lost, when we are headed down the wrong direction, when we look at ourselves and go, something's not right, this is lost, we cannot get back to our potential until we are found. It is the same as having our keys gone missing. In the scripture, this idea, this word lost, is the same word that people used for death sentence. Now that amps it up a little bit because it's a little difference between losing my keys and a death sentence. But they choose to to talk about death sentence as the same word. That person is lost. They are a dead man walking. That person is lost. Because their potential is gone. 
It's the same as a death sentence. That is really interesting that this is the same word that they use. When we are lost, it's the same as being pronounced dead. The great thing is, we have a God who wants us to be found. Where are the things that are lost? They're not in the bright and shiny areas, are they? They're hidden in the dark with the dust. In my life, when I found myself far away from God or in the hardest parts of my life, it's usually because I find myself in a dark and dusty place. Whether that's for my heart or literally in a dark and dusty place. What do you do when you want to be left alone and you're cranky and you, and you just want to take your ball and go home? You go in some dark room and kind of brood and pout. Or am I the only one that reacts that way? Some people take ice cream with them. To be apart from God, to be away from all he has for you, lying in a corner collecting dust, is not the glorious plan he has for your life. We are his prized possession worth more than anything else to him, and he searches for us. He lights the lamp. He searches for us. What happens once he finds you? What happens once you find something that you've been looking for, the relief and the joy? Think of the something that you've lost and you, you found it and the excitement of that. And ah, thankful. Now let's go because <laughs> there were the keys. The, the, the excitement in those moments, the joy in those moments, that same joy is happening here in this parable. What does the woman do? She calls all of her friends. She found the coin. Let's party. That's the same thing that goes on here, and it's a natural human reaction. But also, God, or Jesus lets us in a little secret. When you're found, the angels party. I've just been amazed by that, that the angels party when, we, then when a sinner repents. Now, let's, we talked about this a little bit. Sinner means one who misses the mark, which means bow and arrow analogy. Drew back the bow. And you missed. To repent means to change your mind, to change course, to be walking one way, to repent, and to walk the other way. Or back to our arrows, to adjust course, to change. Now we may think, you're missing the mark. Of course, I don't want to hit nothing. I want to hit the bullseye. But if you're human, changing your mind is a little difficult. If you're married, changing someone's mind, you know how difficult that is. It's like it takes an act of God to change someone's mind. We had a little disagreement between Daniel and, and, uh, and Jimmy up here yesterday while they are working on the, <coughs> on the worship songs. But no, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. Fine. We're going to listen to the worship music. We listen to the song. It'll tell us the truth. Played it. You were right. <laughs> you know? And we had this. It took something outside force to say, okay, this is right. And often it is in our own lives to, to, to deal with that change and to deal with that, how that wrestle that we're doing is we have to have God intercede in our lives to say, shining the light on it. Here, repent. Adjust your aim. 
change. And it's the Holy Spirit working on our lives because you know what? We don't do that very easily. This analogy of changing the way in which we aim has really helped me digest this. If that, I'm shooting at something, I'm aiming for something, and I keep on missing it, and I keep on missing it, and I keep on missing it. I think that is something that we all struggle with. Why does this keep on happening? What is going on? Why does this relationship or any relationship never work? What is going on here? Why is this breaking down constantly? Why is this fill in your own blank? But to repent from something is to change your aim. To change it and so you can run true. And when someone changes that, when they change the way in which they've been operating, the very angels rejoice over you. When we are found, there's a party in heaven. This is, to be found is to have purpose and potential. You can, the coin can buy food again. It can pay for the dowry again. It can be there in a rainy day again. It was useless to her when it was stuck under the de- dust, under the bed, or wherever she found it from. It was useless. But the potential is released again once it's in her possession. As our potential is released again when we are found in God's possession. I want to be found in God's possession. I want to rest in that. I want to simmer in that. I want to stay in that. I want to not find my place. Well, if I was there, I could have done this. Isn't that a sad sentence to say? If I was this, then then I could have done If only I would have this, then that would have been changed. We've all been given gifts and talents and purposes and and special unique things, but those are all worthless if we're not found in God to use them all. To be lost and now to be found. The amazing thing to me is that God is not standing off watching you fall on your face. He gives the Holy Spirit to help you aim, to help you adjust. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even know how to be found. We're so lost that it's like, I don't have a compass. I don't have a map. I don't have any of this stuff. But God seeks for you, and he finds you. We who are found have a choice. This message is uh, pretty focused on being found. But I think for, hey, Jared, I've, I've been, I'm found. <laughs> I'm in God. Been hanging out with him for a while now. It's good. But we have a, jo- a choice. Do we look for lost things or bask in our foundness? I made up that word foundness, too. It's not in the dictionary, I promise. But we have this propensity, we have this, that's a $3 word right there, Uh, we have this inclination to sit, to stay in our foundness. I am found. This is awesome. But so often God is calling us, hey, 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 you're found, now go look for somebody else. See, 
Was the sad thing in this story, maybe she didn't trust her neighbors to come over and help her look. But like, she calls her neighbors after she finds them. Finds them. I, I don't know about you, but probably all husbands do this. They can't find something. Honey, where is the... I'm not in the room with you. I didn't move it. I don't know. But she walks in the room. She's like, here. Right? I do this to Yvonne. She's not my wife. But she, she's... I'll say, I'll, I, I do this thing in my desk. Because the only thing that rattles on my desk are my keys. And so it, I got papers everywhere. And so I can find it, lo, homing signal on it. She'll hear me go in the room next to, to it. And Yvonne goes, on top of your desk to the left. You're not that tall. How did you know? And, you know, I, I find it and, and it works. And that's, that's, but I want to be that kind of person for God. I want to be that kind of person as a Christian. I want to be, because that is who God is calling us to be in the Great Commission is that once we are found, we go out and say, okay, how do we find people? We have the compass now. We have the map now. We have the GPS and the Holy Spirit. It is our job to go grab some hands and say, come on, come on. Can you come in? Sometimes that's bucking and shaking, and you've got family members that are bucking pretty hard, right? But it's our job. It's our imperative. It is how, why we have potential, it is why we have purpose, is to gather people into foundness. And I don't want to be a person who says, you know, well, I'm just going to bask. I'm found. This is wonderful. I hope they sing Amazing Grace this week because it just tells me how found I am. Right? But we, go, we need to form search parties. That's what I want to be a part of. what I want to do as a found person. But today, maybe you find yourself lost. Like, I just want to be found, Jared. I've been coming to this church for a while, but I still feel totally lost. I still feel like I'm searching for something or I'm just sitting here and collecting dust. Today, you can be found in Jesus. a simple thing with magnificent implications. I want to be found in God. As the band comes back up, I just want to think about that for a second. What does that mean for us? One, as believers, and as one, two, as people who are just trying to figure it out. If we're honest with ourselves, do we find ourselves lost? Just ask God to find you. God, I don't want to be lost anymore. I don't want to be collecting dust anymore. I want to step into the potential that you have for me, God. God, I thank you that That Jesus came so that we could be found, that we could have life through repentance. That you came to guide us and to shape us and to mold us. But even more important than that, to save us from our sin. That you are a God who loves us so much that when we miss the mark, when we are messing up royally, you allow us to change. That you allow us to adjust our aim. That you help us adjust our aim. God, we... 
Right now, I want to adjust my aim. For those of us who maybe have been found for a long time, God, I don't want to just sit in my foundness anymore. I want to form a search party. I want to form, be a part of what you're doing, God. I want to rest in that. I want to I do something with you, God. Out of a gratitude, out of a, out of a mission for the, the thankfulness of the purpose that you've given me, out of the grace that you've given me, out of the love that you've poured out on me, God, I want to, I want to be a part of whatever you're doing. God, will you unleash our potential? Will you unleash our, our purpose? God, I am humbled and I am just broken over the fact that I am found in you. That you love me so much that you care to look through the dust. That you care to chase me down in the mountains. To find me. God, if there's anyone here today that needs to be found, I I ask you to prompt their heart. They would just ask, God, find me. Find me in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We are in awe of you. We praise your name. Amen.